Hello, hello, hello everyone. Welcome to, well actually, officially the first real episode of The Blue Corner with myself, Daily Perales, and my man, Ben Katzler. What's up, what's up, what's up? So we're ready to roll. We've got a lot to get through today. And um, let's see how things turn out. Yeah. It's, um, I think the first thing we just need to address is the time of day that we choose to do this because, as you can <laughs> see, I'm not my normal self. We need an extra three hours of, of, of daytime, I think, before we can truly do this justice. Or another three cups of coffee. Exactly. But I'm trying to cut down on the caffeine, so uh, we'll see. We'll see. Let's see how this all works out. So go ahead, Daly. What is, um, you've had a few things on your mind this morning that you mentioned that you were uh... well a few days ago I was um, going through my phone I was on Instagram and um, a name popped up and I've been following him for a while just because of his extraordinary story um, and it's uh, Pritchard Cologne so, um, yeah, Pritchard Cologne. Pritchard Cologne. Cologne, Cologne, Cologne. Um, so I wanted to, yeah, discuss him. It's a, as I said, it's a, it's a sad story, but I think it's one everyone should, um, if you're not aware of it, they should know about it. And for people who don't know, just the gist of it is, um, that this is a guy who was the victim of a, a life changing, Injury that happened to him in the ring. Very life-changing. Um, a very talented fighter. Actually, he reminds me a lot of one of my other fighters, Jamal Ake. Um, the way he... The what kind of way he fights. Good pedigree, amateur pedigree. Had like over 170-something fights, only losing 15. Um, he won a load of national championships. He won... Um, a gold medal in the world Panama Youth Games. He was um, undefeated professional. Um, he had around about, I think, around about twelve fights, twelve and zero, with eleven knockouts, and um, very promising. And he came to a fight against um, Terrell Williams, I think it was, and. Yeah, that's when the tra tragedy happened. Um, yeah, I've got him up on Boxrec here. He had seven, 17 fights. He was 16-0. and 0. Yes, that's it. Yeah, he's 15-0 and 0 before that fight. Um, before his last fight. Before his last fight, he was, yeah, he was 16. 16-0. and 0. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, um, yeah, his final fight, like you say, against Tyrell Williams... Um, the end result of the fight was that he was left in, um, I suppose, what you could describe as a vegetative state. He was in a coma, is that right? Yeah, he was in a coma for, I think it was around about 221 days, which is, uh, I think, around about seven months, something like that, which is a very long time to be in a coma. Um, yeah, now he can't walk, he can't talk. Um, all he can do is just make a, a sound, basically. Um, 
he's still fighting though. So despite him in in that condition, he's fighting every day with rehab. You know, I don't. He'll never ever be able to. I don't think um, talk or maybe even walk. But they're trying anyway. All they can do is try. And he's he's a fighter as well. You can see that he's a fighter. But um, I just don't like. I think things it could have been prevented beforehand. You know, in the actual fight, mm. um, it was. Uh, I think it. Terrell Williams, you know, was hitting him round the back of the head a few times. And I think um, Pritchard, um, I think, retaliated with a low blow. Um, whether he meant it or not, I don't know. Yeah, well, because when, when you brought this up um, as something that you, you wanted to talk about on the show, it raised a lot of questions all about because the thing about ring you know ring deaths and, and fatalities and and when fighters do um, end up with these life-changing injuries it always goes back to raising the question of is this a brutal sport does the sport need to be you know there will always be people who are calling for it to be banned yeah. and things and things like that and um, it's a it's it's only because we look at this in the same way as we can look at a million other issues that people have, and I'm not talking specifically about boxing, that people have issues with. And, um, you know, I remember Chris Eubank Sr. Um, in his heyday was was uh, asked about this in, when he was in his boxing is a mugs game phase. Yeah. And he said, um, but you'll never, you can't ban boxing any more than you can ban prostitution. Yeah. In other words, it's always going to be there. Is it going to be something which is run properly and regulated, yep. where these, where the bad things that can happen in the sport are kept to a minimum, or is it going to be pushed underground where anything can happen? And if it is underground, whatever does happen is going to be kept even more quiet, and the state of things is going to be even worse. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that would happen. No, it wouldn't. But what? It, the, but what? The, the issue of Pritchard Colon, what it raised for me when you brought it up, was the issue of accountability, because yeah, there, there will always be um, the need for someone to be held accountable for a fighter's. Um, death or uh, well, I'm stuck for the word at the moment or uh, some, when something terrible if something bad happens to a fighter in a ring that that, alter, that that changes their life irreversibly yeah there's going to be people who are really going to want answers and want to put point the finger at someone and you know they need that someone must be to blame could even be that fighter you never know could be the fighter they're fighting against. Could be them themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know there have been issues, and I know you want to touch on this also later on about you know the way that fighters treat themselves on the build-up to a fight. Can yeah, have a tremendous effect on how they come out of of, of, of the fight. Um, but on watching the Colon um, Williams fight, something what struck me was the uh, was the role that seems unavoidable. Um, you can't not mention it is the role that the referee played in how um, in how that fight played out because it's clear that the blows that he was receiving to the back of the head which he received repeatedly 
and at least one was a clear cut, yeah, straightforward, for sure. flush power shot to the back of the head, and not and not and not accidental either. Um, what happens between fighters in the heat of a fight? Yeah, there's someone else in that ring to ensure that nothing that those things don't get out of control. Every fight that you see, it doesn't matter who it is, so you'll see someone will try either consciously or subconsciously to take a liberty somewhere. Of course, of course. Okay. You always want to try and gain an advantage when yeah. you're when you're in that kind of sport, especially in that kind of sport. Yeah. And it's partly human nature yeah. in, a, in a sense. But that's it's like I, a footballer that takes a dive. Exactly. You know. Although it's it arguably, I, th- I don't think it's. I think that's worse. Yeah, because that they're being paid so much money. Exactly. Um, and they do it so brazenly. Yeah. They know that the world sees them do it. Yeah. You know. Um, but uh, yeah, the issue of um, there is this other person in the ring who is whose job it is to make sure that that doesn't get out of hand. And the ref in this case, I don't remember who the referee was. But the referee in this case really did let Terrell Williams take the piss yeah. with the amount of times he was hitting Colon around the back of the head. And it seems unarguable that this contributed largely to... Um, I just want to say, just to put his name out there, the referee is Joseph Cooper. Joseph Cooper. So no, we, we, we need to know your name because... Um, I f- think you refereed the fight terribly. Yeah. And we should also add that the aim of this show is not to name and shame people. No. But um, just in the interests of uh, of fairness. It's, yeah, it's good exactly. to keep the names of, you know, if, we wanna, if we're talking about something like this, it's good to keep the names of, of all parties um, involved. Um, so I guess, I suppose, the, yeah, I mean, what would... What are your thoughts on 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 the on the accountability question when it comes to things like this happening? Because well, in this fight, it's the family, by the way, of Pritchard Colon. Yeah, you say yourself, you know, they they they've not. That the only battle that they've had is really just to um, help their son or brother. Yeah. Uh, have as happy a life as as he can now and, have. They yeah. haven't. I don't. From what I can gather, they haven't waged any kind of a war against the governing body that oversaw the fight. They haven't gone after anybody um, in particular. Um, but I don't think they could. Be, you know, if it, I think it would be a waste of time because, especially because the referee is in there and he saw everything. The doctor came up onto the ring and spoke to the uh, to 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 Cologne. So. Um, Maybe they see it. I don't know if they were gonna think of doing anything. Maybe that's why they think that there's no, there's no point. There's no, not really a case. What's weird is that that Pritchard Cologne got disqualified, um, and that was a weird one as well. Him getting disqualified. Well, because I think what had happened is that he retaliated eventually, having after being hit so many times around the back of the head with nothing, with no warning. I don't think even being given. To Terrell Williams, there may have been eventually, but it took a while. And before there was any warning, um, Colon retaliated just by giving him a dig in the nuts. 
Yeah, but that was in like round. That was the first time. Yeah, it wasn't the only time he did it. Yeah, but he did. He he did do it, and it was only after that had happened a couple of times that the referee says, "You stop hitting low, and you stop the rabbit punch." Yeah, I think it was the first time he'd mentioned it. But I could be wrong. But what's weird is when the round had finished in round nine, and they both went back to their corners. And Pritchard Cologne never returned for the tenth round. So then, why is it a disqualification? The round ended like a normal round ended. They both went back to their corners. Mm. They both sat down to get instructions, and obviously something went on in the corner with the trainers and him, and they decided to pull him out or whatever. Or no, I don't, it was a DQ. Yeah, DQ. But I don't know why it's a DQ because of the low blows, I believe. But why did he do it in why in the corner when the round's finished? Oh well, it's a bit weird, you know. Sure, but you know, on on the level of in the grand scheme of weird shit that's happened in boxing with decisions in terms of how a referee has decided to allow a fight to go on or not. um, Why did, for example, what? Why did Mills Lane allow Tyson, Mike Tyson, (laughs) and Evander Holyfield to keep fighting after? Evander Holyfield is now walking around the ring with a chunk missing from his ear that can only have disappeared <laughs> through the teeth of someone else. And there was only one other person in that ring. We know who did it. Yeah, it's true. Right. And it's he let that fight continue. Yeah, he's scared of Mike, that's why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Mills Lane was scared of anyone, that guy. Mills Lane, what a referee. Yeah. Uh, but back to this fight, touching on the fight, the reason why I didn't like it... I mean, it's sad to watch the fight because... You don't, um, you you know, because of what happened after the fight of us obviously going in a coma and then his condition, etc., etc. So it's sad to watch. But what I don't like about the fight is um, when he got hit deliberately on the back of the head. Now, the reason why I'm saying deliberately, because they got all in a tangle basically and every fighter will notice when you get in a tangle and then you end up round the back of the fighter now you know when you end up round the back of the fighter and the fighter is not facing you whatsoever it's against the it's against the you know the rules to be hitting directly on the back of the head like that uh, especially when the person can't defend himself so one I don't like Terrell Williams for doing that because I think that's just um, a coward thing to do Uh, then when Pritchard Cologne went got time to recover he was rubbing he wouldn't stop rubbing the back of his head he went to the corner the doctor came up and he tells the doctor he feels dizzy and he's got shooting pains in the back of his head. So if you're saying that to a doctor, I would think a doctor would, that's like a warning sign for, uh, for the doctor to say, hey, listen, maybe we should pull him out because those signs there, it could be dangerous after that. Mm-hmm. So I don't like the decision of the doctor. I don't like what Terrell Williams I know he's a fighter and it's this is a fight but I think it's a coward thing to do 
to hit someone when they're not facing you in the back of the head when we all know that's um you can't do that because of the effects it could have and then obviously you could see the effects that it had because of what happened to him after the fight he went back to the dressing room he started vomiting and throwing up and um not feeling well they took him to hospital done tests uh, bleeding from the brain they found out then he's in a coma for over 200 days so um, there's a lot of things a referee Terrell Williams and a doctor they're all accountable for um, yeah for the way he is now and it's sad sad to see see because then the question I guess what a lot of people would say is well then boxing's to blame if it's all if we, if if um you put it down to one fighter, the ref, the doctor, you know, all of these, all these opponents, these are all the, the, the components that are supposed yeah, to yeah. Make, a, make, make the fight um, proper. Yeah. As opposed to improper. And if, um, and if, if again, it's like that, that thing of, if, if no one's, if no one is the clear cut culprit in when something goes bad, the uh, the knee jerk reaction of many people is just to blame the the thing, you know the 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 venue the I don't mean the the venue in terms of the building I mean like the the venue of activity yeah you know in this case in this case boxing um, which I wouldn't agree with at the end of the day it's like those things of you have to allow for people to make their own uh, make their own decisions yeah you know. It often, uh, you know, it all, which raises the other question of, you know, when fighters who are denied the chance to fight because of a medical yeah. um, examination or something. There's a girl whose name is, I want to say, sorry if I get this wrong, Rosanna Cox. Yeah, yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, now she was at the board meeting with one of my fighters getting... Um, for a pro license, right, and she's been denied a pro license to mm. fight. Okay, so obviously on medical grounds, right? On medical grounds, and she would, I bet. I mean, I don't know. I've never met the woman, but I, 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 I follow her on Instagram, and I see the things that I see clips of her at it training. Yeah, she looks good. She, she looks top draw. I mean, but that, for, the, for the for the for those who say that, and I've been one of them, that the trouble with women's boxing is that the standard has a way to go before it gets to the level of men's boxing where people you know, are going to be that excited to see it. Yeah. It's participants like her who, are, who, have, who could be raising that standard on aggregate massively. She is, I mean this in the most flattering sense of the word, she's a beast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, No, I've seen her. I've seen her. And it's, it's sad because it happens not just to... To Rosanna, it happens to a lot of people that they go through the whole process of getting a pro license. They get approved for their pro license pending the medical outcome. Mm. And then it's the medical that messes everything up. Yeah. So in her case, the medical um, report is what is there to basically save her life. Yeah. We can't let you do this, Rosanna yeah. Cox, because if we do... And you get hit the wrong way. Yeah. And again, I think it's some. It was some sort of uh, dodgy-looking, iffy sort of patch on the brain. 
she doesn't have brain damage or anything, but yeah. what they found was something where if hit, it could cause a massive, you know, yeah. a life a life changing injury. The likes of which no one wants to receive and that no one wants to see anyone else get. Nevertheless, I'll bet if you put it to her, she'd say, just let me fight. Yeah, yeah. This is my life, it's my body, this is my decision to make. Let me do it. Um, well, uh, if she was probably in America, they'd probably let her fight. Well, they let Rocky Balboa make her come back. <laughs> but uh, America's not so strict like that. Um, you know, if you're talking about like some patch or shadow, I'm sure she'd be allowed to fight in a few other organisations or countries if she still wants to go through with it. Mm. The British Boxing Board of Control are probably the strictest board or governing mm. in the whole world. Which I hear from fighters is a massive ball ache a lot of the time. Um, it is, it is, it is... It is hard work. It's good that because we we're talking about Pritchard Cologne and it all, this is all building up to things coming off that, that, you know, that I think the British Boxing Border Control need to look into. Because um, they are strict, you know, when it comes to getting your medical, they're very strict. I remember one time, one of my ex-fighters, he didn't get his license straight away because he put on his medical form that he used to have asthma. Used to? Yeah, it's like, have you ever had asthma? I didn't realise that you could used to have asthma. I thought that asthma was something you were just stuck with. But go on. Sorry. But anyway, he, it's like, have you had asthma, yes or no? He put, ticked yes. Right. And because he put yes, but I had it when I was a child, mm-hmm. it took him ages to get his licence. Okay. He had to get all these records from, you know, back in the day before they even considered him, you know, granting his licence. Mm. Anything small... They're not going to grant you your license to British Boxer Border Control. They're so strict. It could be anything. It could be something so silly as well. Was it always like that? Did it? it I mean, can't, well, I know obviously it wasn't always like that. But what? When? When was the time? Do you think that they really tightened up? I would bet. I would guess there's some time around the Eubank Watson fight. Which left yeah, because Watson. I remember when I was fighting, I got denied. Um, my I never got denied it. They said I had to get certain information before they approved it just because I said I was trying to be truthful. I could have put no. Mm-hmm. It says, have you ever suffered with anxiety? Right. A lot of boxers would just tick no. Okay, so all everything I ticked was no, and that was just the one thing I ticked yes because I was like, let me be honest because in case they find out, right? So I ticked yes, and it messed up my whole application. That's so funny because the reason I laughed is because I thought, what a question to ask boxers. I mean, why the fuck? I'm gonna bet ninety percent of them have suffered from fucking anxiety. It's probably one of the reasons why they started boxing. Yeah, it's crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like have you ever have you ever <laughs> have you ever suffered from stress? 
It's like, well, yeah, because that's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to get all my records from birth. Really? Yeah, from birth. How I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that probably was that was trickier for you than it would be for many. Yeah, obviously, because I wasn't in the same place growing up all my life, so right. it was hard. Um, but yeah, the, as I said, the board are the strictest in in the world, man. They just give you headache. Even for a British fighter to fight abroad, you know, they give you a headache. Well, yeah, well, a mutual friend of ours... We can cut this out if we have to. Will Ash would Ashley mind if I'm with? No, no, he wouldn't mind. All right. So you heard it there, Ashley. If you if you do mind, you can blame Daly because he, <laughs> he said that you wouldn't mind me, me, me naming you here. But he was going to fight in his first UK show in a long time. Yeah. And I know there were a few contributing factors as to why that fight didn't end up happening. But yeah. I think one of them really was what I heard from him was. The board are just making it as hard as they possibly can, it seems, for me to fight here. You know, it was easy for him to go and fight in, where was it? Not Saudi, he was in um, Dubai for the yeah. last fight. You know, that was easy, no question. Well, the board make money as well off people fighting abroad, so I don't know why they make it so difficult. I know he had a lot of different factors, but mm. the board don't make it easy. I'm just going to pause this one sec. And we're back. Trouble is, is that I'm a nicotine addict. So every <laughs> once in a while, I can't locate my e-cigarette and I have a minor panic attack. <laughs> So I don't, I don't, this is why the Board of Control never granted me a license, because they asked me, do you ever suffer from addiction, from drug addiction and, and panic attacks? And I say, yeah, and it's all nicotine related. That's it. So never... they're holding me up, which is why you're not going to see my debut until I'm at least 40. <laughs> um, but what a night it will be. What a night that will be. All right, what else? There were a few other things that we wanted to get through on, on this episode, and I think it's time that maybe can we introduce the uh, the game show element of the uh, of the podcast daily. This is what we like to call, what I like to call, does daily give a shit? And this is where I ask daily about upcoming fights, certain announcements maybe that are in the calendar pending, and I want to know, does he give a shit or does he not? And if he does, I want to know why, and if he doesn't, I may want to know why as well. Let's do it. I don't know if this is true or not. One lot's one side says it's happening. The other one, apparently, they've got there's their people dispute the truth of the whole thing. But I read yesterday that, irrespective of whether or not Manny Pacquiao beats Keith Thurman on Saturday night or not, he will face Amir Khan in November this year yeah. somewhere in the new I shouldn't use the word lightly I don't mean this blasphemously yeah. the Mecca the new yeah. Mecca of boxing yeah. which is Saudi Arabia it seems um, quite fittingly Mecca the new Mecca yeah so on this little uh, pilgrimage should it happen 
Amir Khan versus Manny Pacquiao. Daily, do you give a shit? Yes, I give a shit. I give lots of shits. <laughs> um, interesting fight, as uh, as I said the other day. Um, you know, it's not the. Uh, it would have been better if they boxed a few years back mm-hmm. when there was more interest in it. And um, for most people, m- most fans will say that like Amir Khan will want to just see him fight Kell Brook. Um, but I understand why he wants to fight Manny Pacquiao because he wants to secure his uh, legacy with fighting legendary fighters. And as g- good as Kell Brook is, I don't think he's quite got that legendary st- um, status yet. So, um, But also, do you not think that losing to Manny Pacquiao would be an easier pill to swallow than losing to Kell Brook? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think he probably would lose to Kell Brook? No, I, I don't. I, I'm not so sure he, he would. I think that's a real 50 50 fight. Mm-hmm. I got, you got one that's more technically. Um, has a better boxing IQ, I would say. And then you've got the other one with lightning speed. Mm. They both got decent power. So it's an interesting fight. With the Manny Pacquiao one, I. The reason why I like that fight because it's Manny Pacquiao. I like watching Manny Pacquiao, and I think Manny Pacquiao would beat Emir Khan. Um, they was another interest is because they were sparring partners for a number of years. Mm. They had the same tra- trainer for a number of years, and there's so it'd be interesting. As I said, it's come a bit too late, but you're still going to watch it. Mm. You know, we were saying before. The interesting thing about Amir Khan is is how he's almost become the fighter who people are just as excited to see him win in spectacular fashion as they are to see him lose in spectacular fashion. Exactly right. Um, always on the edge of your seat with him. You know, don't yeah. know what's don't know what's going to happen with him. It's almost as if he's almost guaranteed to provide a smashing knockout one way or the other yeah. it might be him who's getting knocked out yeah, exactly. you know that if he does it's going to be one that makes you sit up and look yeah but um, you you got to respect also that the way he's going about things like despite what people are saying about him he should do this he should do that or whatever why is he doing this he's uh, doing everything his own way AK promotions isn't it mm. But I think a lot of people have to question about him is that, is he, for lack of a better word, is he deserving of big fights? Because he had the biggest fight opportunity of his life. Which one are we talking about? Against Terence Crawford. Everyone knows, everyone knew really what way that fight was probably going to go. But, you know, on, on, on looking at how that fight ended again and again it seems like you know was that was that a was that a fighter giving his all or was that someone realising they'd been in there for what a couple of rounds well for one I knew he was going to get knocked out or stopped against Terence Crawford in the, uh, anyway I knew that was going to happen 
I didn't know wouldn't know it was going to happen like that. Um, you know, obviously, he, in my opinion, he quit in that fight. Well, that's an opinion I think that's shared by a lot of people. He, um, I, I admit, when I first saw it, I thought that was right. That punch was right in the sweet spot where no one wants to be hit. When yeah. I, when I first saw it, I mean, yeah. on the replays, it all looked a little bit more ambiguous. And then he didn't. You know, you're given five minutes to recuperate, and, and he didn't he take didn't it. Take the five minutes, and this is what I mean. It's like, was this someone? Was this a guy who? Is now at the stage where he's like, fuck it. I'm, but I'm, I'm, everyone I'm, still wants to watch him. It can't. <laughs> yeah. No matter what. But it's a different type of want, isn't it? It's like, I would, I'd rather, I mean, you know, you talk about want. If I heard that Chris Eubank Sr. and Nigel Benn were going to go at it again now at the age that they're at, yeah, I would. <laughs> I'd be so up for that. I mean, yeah. can, uh, that, that, I'm like, all right, <laughs> that's. That's that's pay per view. I double my pay per view to see that. I I pay forty quid to watch that yeah, fight. Yeah. With Amir Khan, you know. Yeah. Let's put it this I'm way: just, he's I, coming to the end where people are going to lose interest soon. So yeah, he has to, he has to do something and pull something out of the bag. He can't be fighting Billy Dibs. No, Billy Dibs is forever. Although I did like. He, he he did look. I know it's Billy did, but he looked like he brushed up on his um, fundamentals a bit more in the fight. I know Billy did never done anything, but I was just watching the way Amir Khan was holding himself. His defense looked pretty good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, touching up a few things. I'm gonna go off subject again. Yeah, because we talked about Kel Brook and Amir Khan. Mm-hmm. Amir Khan said some things about Kel Brook not long ago. Which I have to say, I didn't like. I thought were... Like, like what? What did he say? Well, he implied... He didn't imply. He didn't more or less came out and straight up said that Kelbrook is um, a closet homosexual who's living a lie. He's had what? A closet homosexual. Okay. That Kelbrook is gay. Mm-hmm. He lives a lie... Everyone knows about it. This is, according to Amir Khan, this is something I got from inside <laughs> Kelbrook's camp, that that incident that happened with him in Tenerife where Kelbrook got stabbed in the leg yeah. was to do with Kelbrook putting it on some fellow who wasn't up for it and reacted in the way that he did and stabbed him. And that's why that whole incident... Got you have to be pretty story. sick to come up with a story like that if it's, uh, well, if it's not true. This is the thing. I mean... And it, to me, it was more... Well, let's just say, first of all, if it's bullshit, that's a really shitty thing to say. Not that accused, not that being gay is anything to be ashamed of, but yeah. I, I, I thought to say things about a guy who's married with kids like that and, and create this kind of story, which is going to... Uh, you know, his children are probably going to hear about at some point or another, and then that's going to raise all sorts of questions in the, in the fact. I just thought that it, to, to make something like that up would be fucked up. Equally, if it's true, I think it's as fucked up. Because if that is the case, if Kel Brook, let's just say, is gay, yeah. but he has a wife and kids, yeah. just imagine what walking around every day is like for Kel Brook. Imagine what, with all this in your head, imagine what, going, what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, especially in a sport which has historically been relatively, shall we say, unforgiving, um, 
towards participants who may... I can't see that he's gay. I mean, you never know, but bloody, bloody hell, man. I mean, you ne- like you say, you never know, and more to the point, it doesn't really matter. But I thought that... And a lot of other people came out and said the same thing. I was, I was pleased to hear people like Johnny Nelson, for example, came out and thought, I thought that was a really disgusting thing to say. And Johnny, he didn't mean it's disgusting to accuse somebody of being gay. He <laughs> just, I think he just meant... Yeah, but I can't really say that, yeah? Yeah. And um, it begs a question. Maybe he knows he's going to fight Kel Brook after the next one. And he's trying to hype it even more. Wouldn't it be brilliant if he does fight Kel Brook? Kel Brook batters him. Or he wears... And then comes out. Uh, yeah. Rainbow-coloured boxing shorts for the fight. Kill Brook. Yeah, and yeah. beats Amir Khan. Beats Amir Khan. Where uh, then, then he comes out at the end, and grabs then, the mic. Then he comes out, <laughs> grabs the mic, gets off with the MC. Coming out. Yeah, exactly. I want the world to He know. should come in to that music. That should be his ringboard music. Kel Brook, if you are gay, we don't give a shit. We just, we, we, we just, we'd love to see you be happy and, you know, do do your thing, and then be the first gay guy to not just beat up Amir Khan but uh, beat up anyone in the actually he wouldn't be the first would he there's a chap called Orlando Cruz who I think was the first openly gay boxer but he's a, he's a Puerto Rican I think originally or Dominican I'm not sure but I think he's based down in, in Florida somewhere he doesn't fight anymore but here's the question yeah assuming it's Treating it as a numbers game, there's a certain proportion of people who are gay. Doesn't it seem obvious that there's going to be that same proportion in boxing as well, or in any sport? Maybe not exactly the same proportion. Yeah. But one has to assume that it's the hostility that a footballer, for example, a gay footballer, would face being openly gay, that would stop them from coming out um, and therefore I would have to imagine there's probably a whole bunch of gay footballers who don't come out and I reckon it's the same in boxing yeah I reckon that, uh, boxing probably be even worse than football to try to, to like comfortably come out do you think I don't think so and I'll tell you why I think it's because of the fans I think boxing fans are probably more accepting overall than football fans I guess so especially when you've got football fans going who are you who are you exactly I mean literally if it's throwing if it's throwing bananas at black players yeah, exactly. like that I mean fucking hell can you imagine yeah you know because football's so tribal you don't yeah. get that in boxing yeah true this is one of the best this is one of the reasons why yeah 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 I, I, you're probably right actually you probably changed my mind you'll probably get a load of you'll get fans with, with rainbow banners and Fuck yeah. You know, all dressed up for the occasion. Yeah. Now, here's a question for you. Who Can you imagine, like, Anthony Joshua's gay, yeah, then you got... The, I can the, imagine the, Anthony Joshua being gay, actually. And then everyone, oh, Anthony <laughs> Joshua, with gay banners and gay capes and all this. Yeah. Be, be quite a scene. It'd be great. So, if you, if you, if you were a betting man, <laughs> which, which, uh, which marquee boxing name would you would you bet is the is the is the big the big gay in the closet who should be coming out 
Imagine if it's someone like really tough, like Golovkin. Or <laughs> well, I'm gonna. Say, it's funny you mentioned that because I've, 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 every time Golovkin attends a fight, he's got some very flamboyant outfits. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, he's got some very flamboyant outfits to the point where if I didn't know who he was and I just happened to see him mooching through Soho, if I didn't know who Gennady Golovkin and Chris Eubank Jr. were. But I just happened to see these two guys walking one night through Soho. Yeah, I don't think Chris Eubank Jr. as much, but I think maybe his dad. Really? Why? Because he's... I don't know. I never ever see him or hear him about wife or girlfriend or whatever like that. Well, I mean, he's, 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 he's done all that, hasn't he? Yeah, I know. But maybe he had a wife at first to get the kids that he wants. But really, he's a... Uh... Well, we... Uh, whoever, whoever, whoever is out there in the boxing game who's got a story to tell, we, we'd love to hear from you. Um, by the way, we need to get Twitter set up because we have no way of people contacting us except through Instagram. Oh, yeah, that's easy. I could just uh, change the name because I don't really use that Twitter account. Yeah, and also we, I was gonna, we, should, we should do an Instagram account for the, for the Blue Corner as well. Yeah. Which I for sure could uh, yeah well uh, I'll do it tonight man I was actually I was, I was I was setting it up yesterday oh good but I was yeah so don't worry I'm on it alright good and, uh, okay on, in other news so okay fine Pacquiao Khan Daily does give a shit yeah good um, the undercard of White Rivas what's that do I give a shit there's a couple of fights on there I'm interested to know how much you give a shit First of all, we'll do this as a quick fire round. All right. Dave Allen, David Price. Oh, yeah, give a shit. Big give a shit. Uh, can I just quickly tell you why? 100%. Or Dave Allen, you know... Love Dave Allen. Yeah, good character, funny, um, coming off a devastating, you know, knockout uh, win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> I just like seeing if finally David Price can... <laughs> can get a good win, you know, without getting put on the floor, whether it's by getting dropped or someone trying to bite his stomach. Right. <laughs> he's always, uh, he's just, he's another one of those fighters. You just know he's very vulnerable to getting dropped at any second, in any yeah. second, you know what I mean? So that's why that I'm interested to see that fight. It's funny with David Price, isn't it? I was watching him, his uh, some of his earlier fights last night, and... Uh, I mean, I don't know, slick isn't the word I'd use, but he had something about him that was very, very evasive. Yeah. It was very evasive, and his right hand was like a rocket. And it's almost a shame to see, you know, it happens to everyone at the end of the day, but when you see him fighting now, it's clear that you're seeing someone who's certainly on 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 the decline. I know he wouldn't like to hear that. I mean, no one does, but he, he's, he doesn't have... His, uh, he doesn't have the, the, the full arsenal maybe that he once did. Maybe, you know, there's certain elements of his arsenal that are probably better than they ever have been. But when you're coming up against a guy 10 years, your junior, who's definitely on, on the way up physically and mentally, Dave Allen is really, he's just made such a massive transition in his life um, to get to where he is. I mean, you see him training now. Yeah. You see the shape he's in. Yeah. Um, you see... He's a happy guy. 
he's like a happy guy yeah. walking around and uh, you know like Mike Tyson said there's nothing more dangerous than a than a happy fighter it's not the surly guy I, I could just see him putting an overhand right <laughs> on Dave Price on Dave Price that is a that's a lights out switch yeah what he did to his boy Nick Webb as well was exactly absolutely devastating he's improving he's improving mm. and, so his, and his best years are probably still to come yeah um, Chisora Spilka not really no you have to say that you don't give a shit daily if you don't give a shit um, you don't have to say that no I don't give a shit about that one really no I'm not really interested in that one really are you, I mean, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on Chisora generally as where he's at now in his career. It's the twilight years, would you say? Yeah, and I think he moved to Dave Colwell um, too late. If you're going to change trainer, mm. you should have done it, done it uh, ages ago. You know what I mean? Mm. If, he, if he... I mean, he stayed with Don Charles, like all his career basically and mm. then there's a period where he moved from Don Charles and went to another trainer that I know of I think his name's Gary and um, he stayed there not for long and then went back to Don Charles and then yeah he's moved on to I mean he's had some good wins I mean uh, Chisora he's had some good uh, fights especially the fight with um, Dillian White and that one against Takam mm. Um, he did very well against Takam. They were under Don Charles. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I don't think, I don't think that what is Dave Colwell going to do to someone like Chisora at this stage of his career? I mean, Chisora is a type of fighter with hands up and he tries to walk you down, get close, unloads mm. uh, heavy shots on you. That's really about it. There's nothing really he's going to be able to change about Derek Chisora right now. That I don't, I don't think. That's why you know. That fight don't really interested me because he's the days, the good days are over. In mm. my opinion, he seems like he comes into every fight now, Chisora, raring to go. And no matter how the fight's going, two rounds in, there's just something about him in the corner where it's just like the luster is is gone. He doesn't have that fire. It's like well, it depends what kind of fight it is because there's fights that he turns up to and that you don't think he he's hot and cold, man. You don't know what Chisora is going to turn up mm. like against Takam. Look at that performance, for mm. example. That was unexpected to have a performance like that. Mm. I thought it'd just be like a I don't know, just a, slugfest. Yeah, slugfest, and they're both similar to the Dillian White. Chisora fight I thought it'd be like that I didn't expect that he'd KO first one, the first the one, first one yeah. yeah I didn't expect him to KO Takam the way he did it was mm. unexpected so he's hot and cold because he, he'd go and have a fight like I remember when he boxed in Monaco and he fought a Turkish fighter mm. that he should have beaten and he, and he lost he lost mm. got, he got outboxed and beaten beaten up and then the next fight he goes and does that you know what I mean so he's hot and cold yeah um we were going to touch on this as well yeah obviously it has to be mentioned yeah um 
the big RIP of the week, Pernell Whitaker. Masterful fighter. One of the most naturally gifted fighters ever. Yeah, someone was saying this was not a case of just a, the, one of the most brilliant defensive fighters. This so this ain't, I don't give a shit fighters. or give a shit. You're just no, touching. No, 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 <laughs> this is just, we've moved on from, because obviously I'm not going to ask you, I'm saying everyone gives a shit here. You have to give a shit. Um, it's, it's weird because you fight all your life in a dangerous sport and then, you know, apparently you die by getting hit by a car. Yeah, and but apparently there was more. I mean, obviously, you know, he was he was battling with a lot of things in his life. I think he was not in a good place, from what I've from what I understand. Okay, or, so or he was he'd certainly been back and forth with. Uh, there needs to be more done with boxers because you're touching on that, and it's a bit of a because you you see a number of boxers they get depressed after mm, they finish their careers, mm, and uh, I and I. I could kind of understand why they get depressed because for bo- in boxing you're always fighting for something for a reason and then when that stops and goes all of a sudden then there's nothing else for you to do exactly it's a, it's a bit of a hard one and the rush that's involved as yeah. well the adrenaline win, lose or draw is yeah. a hard thing to replace even just fitness getting fit when you're a boxer you're training for something, so you're keeping in shape. When I know it sounds weird, but you, me, for example, I had to change my focus when I used to fight, and then all of a sudden I wasn't fighting. I was like, but I'm used to training for something. Now I'm not training for anything. So what am I training for? Mm. Because I had that mindset, mindset of competitiveness and training for something. So when I stopped training, it was a hard process and transition only now I'm starting to to um, understand well I'm just trying to get in a workout when I can mm. every day just for health reasons you know got a good, you've got to look good in your pants man it's as simple as that exactly, exactly. I always, this is the, what I've always wondered is like how hard is it just to keep training just keep training but I guess when there's no when you're a boxer yeah when you're a boxer it's hard to, to just yeah it's uh, it's hard. It's a hard transition, man. Mm. But it's funny, people like um, I mean, most notably of late, Tyson Fury's probably been the most outspoken person about the value of training to him in terms of his own, in terms of his mental health, and how it was really getting back in the gym at four hundred pounds. Yeah, or whatever it plays a big part. I mean, if you can just get up and go and do it, yeah, and then you know, yeah. Being in the gym and getting fit, it plays it. It does help a lot. Sorry, but back to Pernell Whitaker. Yeah. What I mean, it, it's uh, like you said, masterful fighter. Yeah. Master, but doing the kinds of things there was there's a handful of these guys over the years who yeah. you watch and go, "What did you just do?" Yeah. And there's him. There's the Roy Jones Juniors. Yeah. There, you know. Um, to a certain extent, Nassim Hamed, but in a in a in a less yeah. uh, in a less graceful way, um, and probably a less well-rounded way. Um, Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali, guys who are really kind of like defying the way that you're supposed to do things yeah. in order to not just do them, but do them better than anyone else can. Um, 
it's uh, it. I always thought it was odd that in the in the conversations that I had around the great fighters, which you know we're often in a boxing gym, we hear these conversations all the time. Pernell Whitaker's name only came up the other day because he died. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sad. It's very sad, and um, I guess first of all, I was wondering sort of like why. What do you think it was about him that kind of kept him as a a name that when he comes up, people do go, "Oh my God, yes, of course." But well, it's not. He it, it never seemed to be the like the go to one of those go to people who who people are ready to talk about as the you know well, as a great of their era. If you talk about name standing, like you said, Nazim Mohammed, right? Mm-hmm. Before a minute ago. Maybe he wasn't outside the ring. He didn't didn't have enough about him to keep people interested on two fronts, as in boxing and... You know when you watch Floyd Mayweather, it's not just boxing, is it? When you watch Muhammad Ali, it's not just boxing. Sugar Ray Leonard, it wasn't just boxing. Nazim Hamid, it wasn't just boxing. Well, so I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, you know, the the character. I know what you mean, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It, it, I don't think that was anything to do with any antics outside the ring. I mean, Ali's battles outside the ring elevated him to a certain degree. Um, to a massive degree, actually. That's a complete understatement. Um, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard never courted controversy or anything like that. His no, no, I just there. mean, like, just... It was. It was just like Floyd doesn't really come with. I don't know, so much controversy in his private life. No, but he's flamboyant. That's what I mean. He's like he punched he his wife and talk talk him. shit. Yeah, but you know, it was any one of these guys could have just done everything they did in the ring and been as big a draw as a fighter ever could have been. Same as Pernell Whitaker. That's just one aspect and just trying to fire out things that why he couldn't, Mm. why he may not be in the, you know, on the front of everyone's minds these days. Well, you brought up, the interesting thing that you said was that earlier was that you talked about how, if you look at his opponents, with the exception of Julio Cesar Chavez, who he drew with. Yeah. In a way, is kind of great in itself. Yeah, like you have these. You have two great fighters fighting out to a draw. If it's a genuine draw as well, you know, I don't really have a problem. With but then again, Julio, 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 Julio Cesar Chavez. Mm-hmm. If you walk in gyms, does it? Do you hear his name getting talked about amongst um, amongst greats? Uh, even though he is a great, and I obviously understand he's a great. Yeah, but I think it, it it depends. I think it's sort of like, and there's, you can probably say the same about Pernod Whitaker. It's there's it's sort of levels of of the conversation yeah. in terms of levels of the of the knowledge in the room. You know, if you sit down with like prop with like a bunch of boxing Dude. scholar historian types, either because they've been in the game or they've written about the game. You know, these are these are the guys who who, who know all. They've got all the info. They know all the stuff. They know they know about the greats that you and I don't even know about, you know. And uh, but in terms of like general pub chat, yeah, we say, yeah, it's true. 
Julio Cesar Chavez doesn't really come up. It's like it's particular fights that come up. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, That's why I'm saying when you fight, you you need you need a a few fights that are going to cement your your legacy. Yeah, that will get talked about forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, Meldrick Taylor. Look, look, I'll Meldrick give you one example. You know Diego Corrales, Diego Corrales, right? I was talking to you about this in the gym the other day. Diego Corrales. Now, if you go, to, if you go to anyone that knows boxing, if you go around to gyms and you go, what fight? Um, you know, pick a fight, Diego Corrales. Which one did you like? Mm-hmm. I bet nine times out of ten, actually, I think ten out of ten people will say the same thing. Diego, Diego Corrales. Uh, versus Castillo so that was a fight that stood out and it still stands out today in my opinion you know what I mean okay. um, well, they fought twice yeah which one do you because he lost one and he won the first one he beat Castillo the first time they fought back to back yeah um, yeah these big records as well 52 and 6 so yeah, they were the fights that stand out. So you know, Pernell Whitaker, masterful, skillful, at times untouchable. Also, as well, he didn't. You know, he's seventeen knockouts out of 40, 40 fights, forty something fights. You know, it's just not a high knockout percentage. It's true. Um, as well, so maybe that might play a factor of you know him not standing out to so many people um, and it also comes down to what kind of flavour you like watching man like if I was to tell my like one of my fighters Dominic Wooden that's one of his favourite fighters mm. but he fights like similar to him so that's probably why he likes Pernell Whitaker so much you know there's other people that like only like watching hard hitters mm. you know what I mean so Pernell Pernell Whitaker wouldn't even cross their mind yeah it's funny to me I always find that strange how there are some guys they're not in, they don't like to see the smaller guys fight no and I, I don't get that at all because for me that's the that's where you're going to see real I mean I get it I get pace, it you know I get it to a certain extent because even me as a trainer I, I you know I always look for fighters that have got a little pop in their in their shots mm-hmm. you know um, because at the end of the day, this is boxing and, you know, you don't get paid overtime. Mm. People like to, yeah, they appreciate the skill, but they want to see, especially if you're trying to make a name for yourself as well. You've got to be having, you know, these days it's about having a decent, you know, knockout ratio. It doesn't have to be out of this world, but you have to stop a few guys, man, mm. um, to put your name up there. You can't be someone that's like 30... And O with two knockouts. I know what you mean. But if those 30 fights you're still winning in a bedazzling. Boy, it has fashion. to be, yeah, it has to be big fashion though. Mm. If you ain't carrying that power, it has to be big fashion. Oh, speaking of. Um... In fact, no. Well, I'll save it till another time when it's more relevant. All right, all right, all right. I was about to give oxygen again to the name who I don't ever want to give oxygen to, but I kind of feel like I have to because <laughs> he got beat. 
Now you got me intrigued, now we got B. The other prince. Prince Patel got Ah, oh, you know what I mean? We're gonna waste my time on Prince Patel. Uh, I ain't wasting my breath or this show on Prince Patel. Alright, all I wanna say is he got beat, and that's good. Next. So yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of masterful fighters, yeah. not Prince Patel, but we were talking about Pernell Whitaker a few minutes a, a minute ago. Speaking of masterful fighters and who they fight. Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah. Good fighter. Terrific fighter. I don't think there's a... Personally, I don't think there's a middleweight on the planet who can beat him right now. And I think... I might disagree slightly, just a little bit. Of course you will. I'm st- it might be... I'm not saying it's a lands... It's, the percentage is way off. I, I, I reckon... It's a 50-50, in my opinion. Between him and... Demetrius Andre, on Andrade, or Andre, however you say it. Booba, his nickname. He was the WBO middleweight world champion. Spuriously, the WBO middleweight world champion. What do you mean? Well, because Billy Joe Saunders was the WBO world champion. Yeah. And he had to vacate because of his nasal spray. Is that what happened? <laughs> um, but he's defended it. He, he's well. Also, he won the WBA World Super Welterweight title. Title. Um, Boo Boo, Demetrius. Um, so he won that vacant WBO World Super World title. He defended it a few times. Um, uh, then yeah the vacant world WBO middleweight title that Billy Joe Saunders vacated and he's defended that twice since right. and I, he's an awkward customer let me tell you he is awkward customer so I think if that fight was to get made that would be an awkward fight I mean Demetrius is already calling out Canelo and all those kind of fighters so mm. but yeah I think if he I think the Andrade fight is good because it it would be a in a way, it would sort of like be the, the most perfect fighter reclaiming what is theirs, what is yeah. rightfully theirs. Fight, but I like I like I like Andrade. I like Boo Boo. Okay, I reckon he's um, a quality operator. Who would you like to ideally? Who would you like to see um, Saunders fight next? I would like to see him, especially because of his good win over James DeGaulle, Chris Eubank Jr. Oh, Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah. He beat James DeGale. Uh, yeah, he and did. You know, I know at the end of the day, I would like to see what would happen in a rematch because if Chris Eubank Jr. never left that first fight so late, it would have been, it could have been a different outcome. Could have been, but... It would have been reliant on him, on him also, drawing Saunders into the Wait crime. a minute, though. Also, he, James DeGaulle was a bloody slick operator himself. Was. Yeah. But he he changed his style up for that DeGaulle fight. So it could be a thing where he could adapt to Billy Joe's Saunders in a style in a rematch and uh, take a, and and take away the mistakes he done in the first fight. Mm. 
So that's one there. Maybe it's not to everyone's liking, but I'd just be interested to see what Chris Eubank could do in a, in a rematch. But other than that... It's a sellout fight. But other than that, Canelo. Yeah. It's a sellout fight for him to fight Eubank again. Yeah. I don't think he feels like he has particularly much to gain from fighting Eubank again. No, so I don't <clears> think that'll happen anytime soon. No. He's probably going to go after Canelo, all those kind of people. Go, maybe Golovkin. And how do you fancy his chances against Callum Smith at Super Middleweight? <sighs> no, no, I think, I think Callum Smith would be too... Too... Too big. Too big and strong. I, I think he's a mountain, man. He is. Callum I mean, Smith. He's, he's, he's out. He's just he's particularly big for his division. He's technically anyway. gifted, man. Very he, he doesn't do anything out of this world everything he does is simple but it's the simple things um, work for him and he does it very well he reminds me a bit as you said technically very gifted but doesn't do anything out of this world in that sense he reminds me a little bit of Richie Woodall <laughs> Richie Woodall <laughs> do you know what I mean though no because Richie Woodall was so good uh, he was so technically good but but you didn't no, you know, he never had you on the edge of your seat. You know what I mean? It was just... I, I can't stop laughing because it's Richie Woodall, man. I'm not trying to put him down or anything, but uh, Richie Woodall. That's all you need to say. If anyone ever needs to make Bailey Parada's laugh, those are the two words that are going to tickle him. Um, no disrespect, Richie Woodall. Um, okay... Uh, Anything else, or shall I shall I move on? Yeah, you. you what, what else? What else have you got? Oh, you were going to talk about uh, your. In fact, no, you go go ahead. I hope it, I hope you're going to bring up the thing that I hope you're going to bring up. What losing weight? That's the one. Yeah, losing weight incorrectly. A lot of people ask me about this, and um, I mean, take. Take eating food out of the equation for a minute, like the right food. Let's just talk about things boxers do away from food to lose weight, like wearing sweatsuits in a gym while they're training, uh, putting themselves in saunas. Mm. Um, and these boxers have to realise it's very dangerous. Now, we were talking about Pritchard um, Cologne earlier on, um, him getting a bleed to the brain. I mean, we we don't know what Pritchard Cologne was doing before the fight. Maybe he was struggling to make weight. You don't know. And maybe that's why he had less fluid around his brain, uh, um, you know, to give him that protection. So those hits on the back of the head, um, you know, just helped the process of that bleed because of things he was doing before the fight. We don't know. I don't, I don't know what he was doing before the fight, but I just think it's a, these boxers have to understand if you live as an athlete, because that's what you are. And then you won't have to struggle to make weight all the time. Mm. And I, I know it's hard because they want to eat and all this stuff, but you have to come to a compromise where boxing is a short career. It's not a long career. You can, you can have as many burgers as you want when you finish. But you've got to learn how to um, eat clean and um, still eat the bad stuff, but just don't go crazy and just... That's just my opinion. And stop all these cutting corners to lose weight because it's a very, very dangerous for your health. 
And a lot of these boxers, as, as much as you tell them, they still don't listen. Right. And it goes back to that question of, of, of accountability when something bad happens to a fighter. Very often, it could be that fighter himself or herself. Yeah. Who is probably been a, the single greatest contributing contributor to what happens to them and it could be down to how they prepared for the fight yeah the thing is about you talk about you know sweatsuits and saunas and all this is this I mean I just want to be really clear about what, what I mean when I say this it, to me that it doesn't that doesn't seem like really you're not, it's not true weight loss what you're doing there is rushing to make the weigh in yeah by just by dehydrating yourself completely, getting all the water out of your system, which will essentially that will make you weigh less. Yeah. For the weighing. Yeah, for the weight. Yeah. But assuming that after that weighing is done, you're replenishing those fluids. Yeah. You're not really losing any weight at all. Mm-hmm. You're just replacing all of that water. Um. What's the benefit to training in a sweatsuit? You know, I mean, what does it do? I mean, it, it's like it makes no, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just a, a quicker way to lose weight. But if you're not doing that to lose weight to get because you've got to get on the scales that day or the next day, and because you, can, you and you're prepared because to take boxers it. are stupid. That's why the way they do it, right? That's <laughs> the, the, the sweatsuits, right? They're losing the weight. It, it's kind of an obsession because they need to lose weight. Mm. And especially because they leave it to the last minute as well. That's another reason why they, you, a lot of people use sweatsuits. Um, they just want to see the results there and there on the scales and know that it's going down. So it's like fake weight drop, you know? It's like fake. It's not really what you're losing, actually losing. So they go on the scales and they're like if they've lost two kilos in that session they're like oh yes I've lost a few kilos but what what boxers do that that is really stupid they go home and then they probably eat minimal and they drink minimal so then they're not putting on so much weight overnight so when they come to the gym the next day and they're wearing that sweatsuit and they're training they get they lose they might have put put on a key say they lost two kilos but then they put on a kilo overnight they come in wear the sweatsuit they train again they lose up so they're constantly dropping 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 but they're dropping it in the wrong way because maybe they're starving themselves or they're not giving themselves enough fluids they just do everything in the wrong way and that's why i call them stupid he doesn't mince his words um how do you respond? What, what's, how do you react to a fighter that you train who you find out either because you're just aware of it or because it comes or because knowledge comes back to you another way where they are not, um, where the, their, their way of, of losing weight is, as you say, an improper way of doing it. This is not the right way to do it. How do you? How, what's your reaction to a fighter who you, who you, of yours that you know is doing that? Well, through experience and things I'm not going to get into that have, um, have you know, happened. Well, um, I've come up with a rule now that if you're not within five kilos of your fight weight, um, 
the start of training camp, mm-hmm. uh, then I'm going to pull you out of the fight. Well, you're not going to. I'm not going to put you in a fight until you're within five kilos, because I just think it's so dangerous to be. What these fighters do, they lose all the weight. Then after the fight, they start eating a load of junk, but they're not training while they're eating that junk. Mm. So they go from training every day, then all of a sudden they're not training, eating a lot of junk for two months. Then all of a sudden, oh, I've got a new day. Now I'm going to cut out all the crap and, you know, lose weight in the wrong way and it's just messing up them, their health because they're going up, they're going down, up, down, up, down. So I've come up with a rule work. You have to stay within the five kilos um, because it's dangerous otherwise to lose too much weight. So that's my rule. That's how I react to my fighters. Um, I'm not scared to pull them out because it's my reputation on the line as well. So I'm not scared to pull them out. I mean, I hear ridiculous stories of fighters in sweatsuits and in a sauna sitting in there for like over an hour in, in a sweatsuit, in a sauna, in a sweatsuit. How dumb can you be? Anything they can do just to get the weight off. And it's dangerous. And that's why I'm saying that it's a very sensitive subject because of things that happened to Pritchard Cologne. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Um, even if that wasn't the case because he was dehydrated or anything. But at the end of the day, being dehydrated, you can cause yourself to have brain damage. Right. And even if it's not brain damage, you could collapse in the ring. Yeah. You could throw up in the ring. Or after. Or after. Or any, home, yeah. There's no doctor. Exactly. To help you. Exactly. So these boxers need to realise it's a dangerous sport as it is. One that you can you get your life taken away from you. So why are you trying to enhance it by doing dumb shit? By and uh, by the way, I banned sweatsuits in the gym, so they can wear a tracksuit if they want. Mm-hmm. But don't come into my gym training in sweatsuits because I think if you're training constantly training in a sweatsuit, and then it's taking away what the things that we're meant to be doing which is concentrating on the boxing side of things yeah. if you're always coming into the gym and all, all the time you've got to worry about weight 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 and then half of the camp is spent with dealing with your weight issues rather than focusing on us training training you the way I want to train for your fight which is the boxing side of things or the conditioning side of things you can't do loads of bloody pad work and bad work and conditioning to your full potential if you're wrapped up in a sweatsuit yeah. that's cutting all your oxygen you know what I mean yeah it's, and by the way when you're in that sweatsuit you're still an, an hour in you're still carrying all that weight around it's just not in you it's just on you now yeah it's yeah. you're carrying that around in your clothes it's yeah not, you know you're, you're it's not going to uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to enhance you it's weird because the thing is about food is that I've always imagined you can tell me you, you you were pro when it comes to food is a lot of it that there is just all the best tasting stuff is stuff that's just bad for you and therefore eating for a fight when you're in camp just becomes this horrible oh my god I'm just going to eat more fucking salad yeah. and all that. yeah I'm a foodie yeah and nothing when it comes to food makes me happier than finding that thing that I can eat yeah. that 
is not just really healthy, but is also really delicious. Yeah. And there is so much of that out there. Yeah. I know I don't want to sound like one of those crazed vegans. I'm not a vegan and I, I, I don't think I've got the no uh, double meaning intended here. I don't think I've got the stomach for it. Um, I, I like eggs and meat and cheese too much. Yeah. But when I train... And I don't train for... I'm not training because I'm, I'm fighting. I know that what the, some of the best things are to put into my body after that. And what I'm eating is generally some very... Some lean meat. Yeah. A couple of eggs, maybe. Broccoli. Yeah. I love broccoli. I can't get enough. Um, and maybe something a little bit carby just to pad it out. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not... I don't feel like hungry an hour later. Yeah. And there's so much of this stuff that you can eat, which is delicious, which is where you don't feel like you're being cheated out of a tasty meal because you're having to train for this fight. Um, it seems like there must be... Oh, funnily enough, Dominic Ingle, I think, is writing a recipe book. Okay, and um, Chris Algieri. Do you know Chris okay. Algieri? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got um, a book out, I think it's called The Fighter's Kitchen. Oh right, because okay. because yeah, he's a he, he's an he's a nutritionist as well. Okay, actually he's a nutritionist for, uh, for uh, Daniel Jacobs. Oh really? Yeah. So he makes all of his food. So if you see on Chris Algieri Instagram, you always see him posting good meals, and they meals that are like oh shit, this is nice, delicious, fills you up. You know what I mean? Mm. But you know, at the end of the day, you can eat good food. If you're consistent with training, mm. the problem with these boxers are they go from one extreme to the other. Oh shit, my fight's coming up. It's creeping up now. Let me get strict. Cut out all the badness and eat good. Mm. Get in their sweatsuits or whatever it is to do whatever they do to cut the weight. Then when they finish the fight, they're like, that's it. I'm gonna have a kebab, cans of Coke pizza, burgers, chips, everything they can stuffed into their system. They don't train as well. So I'm not saying you have to train hard, but you just have to stay, keep yourself in the gym. So mad, isn't it? You have this, uh, that it's like, that's the way that people react to like their, their response to being able to do something that they weren't able to do for the last six to eight weeks. Yeah. But they don't just do it. They do it to an extreme as if that is in some way kind of making up yeah. for all those burgers I didn't get to eat now I'm going to eat eight of them in one day it's like what really like why I mean what, what do you get out of that and the other thing is that when you're in training and you're eating well yeah I'm not a nutritionist so I could be completely wrong about this but it, it seems pretty obvious that your body your body gets used to what you put in it yeah, yeah. and what you do with your body. Yeah. And if your body is used to you training hard and eating certain foods, when you s stop training and then you hit the burgers and the cakes and all of the rest of it, your body's suddenly not used to dealing with those fats and those sugars. And Basically. Has to and which is why I love a lot of these everywhere. guys. Exactly. Why a lot of these guys <laughs> balloon. Yeah. What would you have said? I mean, you talk about how you would react to a fighter who comes in five kilo, more than five kilos over fight weight at the beginning of camp. 
what on earth would you have said if Ricky Hatton had shown up to you if you were his trainer? Because what Ricky Hatton would do between fights almost defied... There's so many things I I say. I, I say it to my fighters all the time. You know what I mean? As trainers, you can only give the best advice you can. At the end of the day, when they come in the gym, you know, what... Once they step outside those doors, I can't really do shit. Mm. So what they do, if, if they go to a burger joint or if they're having carbs at the wrong time or whatever, there's nothing really I can do. The only thing I can do is just monitor their weight and give them advice. Um, the only thing I probably would do if it comes to a point where I am constantly have to keep talking about the same thing and they're not doing it, and then it'd probably be a time where I'd be like, you know what, if you're not going to listen to me, when I actually care about the fighters, because I've been there and done it, mm. and then you ain't going to listen to anyone else, so it's best that we just uh, leave it here and you, we go our separate ways. So, um, Bit of tough love, I guess, really, isn't it? Yeah, man, that's all, that's all I can really, really could do. I also think the British Boxing Board of Control, because when the boxers go to get their pro licence, they always stress about dehydration um, making weight correctly but at the same time I reckon the British Boxing Border Control just like they do a course for tr- pro boxer trainers if you win- when you become a pro box- if you want to become a pro boxing trainer you have to go on a course to learn shit before they give you a license I reckon there should be even if it's just a one day not a course where you get a certificate and all that, but just a one day where boxers can attend where they learn how to lose weight the right way for fights. Like, uh, you know, tips on how to lose weight. Just so it's there. I, I'm just saying, the board always moan about it and talk about it, then put something in place. I know what you mean. It's just... Some boxers sort of, need that kind of direction. I, I know you're saying it's probably... Right, s- but pe- here's something that everyone knows, and I don't care if you have an IQ of 20. Right? Yeah. Here's what you know. If you eat shit food and don't train, you will put on weight. If you train and eat good food... I understand you will that. Weight. I understand that. And I'm not saying that it's... Not, I, I don't, like, reject the idea of what you're talking about. What I'm saying is, is that you can... You can lead a horse to water. Yeah, yeah. And these guys, what's the board of control going to tell these guys that they don't already know? No, they're getting a proper professional. Not the board. It won't come from the board of control directly. They're getting a proper nutritionist, and they sit them down, and they go through ways to lose weight effectively without dehydrating yourself and all these things. Just so it's there. Mm. Just so it's there because so many bad fatalities happen or injuries happen in boxing. They should put something in place. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I don't think there's enough help for boxers sometimes. It's just the same thing. You know, when, you get a, when you're training someone, it's just the same as like when a, someone goes, uh, I know how to train, but if I go gym by myself, I find it hard to mo- motivate myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I get a personal trainer or I attend a class, you know, I've got someone there to push me to do it. So it's, it's similar, you know. If it's, some boxers can do it on their own, 
some boxers maybe will need something in place where oh, they can go there and they've got someone sitting them down and taking them through everything, showing them why it's dangerous, showing them the effects it can have on your body, have on your brain, all these kind of things. So I think there should be something in place that, mm. you know, for it to happen. Yeah, you never know. And all these coaches need to learn some stuff too. So approaching 12 o'clock. Yeah. How are you for time? We've got another probably 10 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes to go. And what... Why why we've got another 10 minutes to go, I just want to say a big thank you to October Red. Um, got some gifts through the post, snapback, hats. Follow her. Um, October Red. October Red. October Red. That's a fascinating name, a cool name. Thank you for the gifts. Um, I'll be wearing them proudly in the gym. Also to our marvelous, uh, the other sponsors, Tokyo Time. Um and Empire Pro Tape. Tokyo Time, they provide all the snapbacks you see me wearing in the gym. And Empire Pro Tape, they um, provide me with... Empire Pro Tape. (laughs) Empire Pro Tape (laughs) for my fighters, so... I should just add that Empire Pro Tape, Tokyo Time and October Red, they don't send me shit, by the way, so... (laughs) I, I'm, you know, I don't even know how much use I can be to you, but October I'm, I'm interested to know about the name October Red. I'm wondering. Actually, just so everyone knows a bit more about Ben Katz, I'm going to give him a question. My question is, oh God, what do you, as as I talked about in my last um, in the last episode, Ben is a photographer. If you see on my page, there's a lot of photos you see that he's taken um, I've added him as well so if you want to take a, a, a look at all his work you can go to his page but my question is what are you looking for when you're doing boxing photography so not just any pho- kind of photography you're, you're shooting things to do with boxing so like let's say you're snapping a boxer mm-hmm. Are you snapping away just like click, click, click and see whatever you come out with or are you looking for a certain kind of style or something in particular or whatever? What's your kind of niche? Well, it's a good question. And the thing is, is that I should just point out that first of all, I'm, I'm not a quote unquote boxing photographer. Yeah, I'm not a sports photographer. I'm 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 a, if anything, where I find I'm the stuff I'm happiest when I'm shooting is I'm is, sort of documentary type stuff. I like to try and tell stories in pictures, and I don't care really what it is that I'm taking photos of. If there's a story there, I want to find it. Yeah, whether if it's an individual or or a bunch of people. Um, I'm shooting the, the stuff that I'm shooting boxing wise is for an exhibition and the, the, the exhibition which is going to be called the fight show what I, is going to be held summer next year summer of 2020 is what, what I want it to be is and I was thinking about this the other day what I really want this thing to be is the single biggest photographic celebration of the sport of boxing 
Yeah. By focusing on the people in the sport, be it the fighters, the trainers, at any level, amateurs, pros, low-level, small-hall shows, bigger shows, if they ever let me on the press roster, you never know, um, and a mixture of portraits and candid reportage, unstaged stuff. Yeah. So when I'm doing this, what I'm looking for really, I suppose, is what I'm looking for when I'm shooting anything, which is those moments that capture something about the subject. And if the subject is either an individual or the subject is boxing, um, that in some way, in that one moment frozen in time, tells you as much as possible about what the, the person or the thing or the, whatever it is in that picture. Um, the first people I should just add, by the way, the reason, so I, I know daily because I started shooting one of his fighters. Originally, I'd wanted to do something about um, the gym. That was going to be the project the All-Stars Gym on the Harrow Road, which has been there since 1974, um, founded by Mr. Akai, who sadly passed away just two, three weeks ago now, I think, wasn't it? Um, and it was his son, Jamal Akai, who I'd met previously during... Uh, and I'd, I'd met him a, a, probably about a good couple of years ago, and then I was in the middle of doing an exhibition last year and I decided the next thing I wanted to do was about boxing. So I got in touch with Jamal and I wanted to start shooting him, which would hopefully lead to shooting his fights because he was on the way to his pro debut at the time. Um, and so subsequently I met you yeah. and your fighters. And so one of the stories which I'm, I'm getting, for example, is in, in a way is the, the story of Daly and his stable of fighters who are all young, hungry characters, mind you. That's the other thing I like about how, how it's, it's... And it's just ended up that way. Yeah. It was lucked out, really. Is that between, amongst your fighters, there are no two people the same. No two people really even that similar. Yeah. Everyone's a bit different. Their fighting styles are different. Their yeah. personalities are different. Um, and... It's really just about kind of grinding it out. You only see, for example, the select few shots that I decide to, you know, retouch and post. Yeah. You haven't. You don't see the hundreds. Yeah, yeah. And I do mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of images that I've still got that I haven't done anything with because I'm doing. I'm going through this really careful selection process of what is that? What is this? Tell a person. What does this tell an audience? If you don't know this person, what's it going to say? This picture. All right, I'll tell you one picture that tells me a story of yours. Actually, I'm going to post it. The only reason why I haven't posted it because I'm not in it. <laughs> but I'm going to post it because it's such a meaningful picture. There's a picture that you captured of us running in Hampstead Heath where we do our hill sprints. And one of them, and it's in black and white, and one of them is, is of Anessi, and all you see him is, all you see is him on the right at the top of the hill on his own after just doing the hill sprint, running off into the distance, 
ready to do another round of hill sprints. And what that tells me is boxing is a very fucking lonely sport mm. in that picture. And because that's what it is, that just sums up boxing, that picture. That boxing, you, you, there's, there's no... You, there's no one to help you basically You've, it's, it's a one man sport yeah your it's team not, will help you get there yeah. and then when you're there it's just exactly when that bell rings it's you and that just that picture sums up boxing as well and it sums up everything is about boxing because the the road work the running the, you know those hill sprints are dis, disgusting as in a way as they're not nice to run up no. and it tests your heart it tests your will your desire and I think that picture there just sums up um, boxing in such a big way. And I'm going to post it. I'm going to post it later just to show you lot what I mean um, about, you know, you know how brutal this sport is. And I just think it sums it up. Just him on the top of the hill running off into the distance. Nobody around, just him. Well, I'm actually curious to see what shot you're talking about as well. Because um, there were a few of those, there were a few little frames that I caught in very, very yeah, yeah. Because you got back. you got some of all of us, uh, um, but that one there, I think, is the best one just because of what it um, what it signals. It was funny because that was quite early days as well when we were shooting, and that was the first time I'd shot you guys outside the gym. Yeah, and um, oh, and that's right. And I remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. I remember Mo moved at a faster he was moving at a faster pace than Anessu yeah I think he'd even lapped him maybe and that's why Anessu was going off on his own on to his do, own to yeah do the final yeah. one because Mo had already completed it um, and yeah it's just yeah. watching watching Anessu runs like a Mexican runs like a Mexican yeah Mexicans just run at slow pace disclaimer this is not <laughs> some sort of Trump-esque no diatribe no. against the, the fine just Mexican, Mexican fighters they, they like to run slow they like to run slow yeah um, hey man when you come from such a fucking hot country you don't want to do anything that quickly no I've got a friend who has this theory about why countries are the ones that do well economically are the ones where it's generally not hot all the time because when it's so fucking hot you want a siesta in the afternoon do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah you don't want to and I always the funny thing is, you know, I, I love, um, one of my favourite places on earth is Rome, and I've always had a thought about living there for a bit, and everyone I know who does live there, they all say the same thing to me, they go, yeah, you come and try it for three months and see how you feel after that, you'll want to move back to London, and I'm like, why? And they say, because nothing fucking works, yeah. nothing works, nothing runs as it should, and my response is always, well, if you don't go to sleep in the afternoon... If the, whole, if the whole country doesn't shut down yeah. and go, all right, we're going to nap for the next three hours, you watch, you see how things get better, how things work better, how things move faster. But then, you know, I was in Rome the last time it was May time, a couple of years ago, so it wasn't even in the heat in the middle of summer yet, and I was already thinking, yeah, do you know what? This is, you don't want to be in an office now, even if you've got your own little shop, you don't really want to be sitting in that little shop now. You want to be out in the sunshine. Yeah. You want to be enjoying yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a digression. <laughs> anyway, the... Um, but 
How, what, what are we? Yeah, I'm, I'm, Ten past twelve. I'm going off to the gym in a minute because we've got, we've got sparring in an, in an hour. I'm going to train someone first, and then they're sparring. Um, Who's sparring today? Anessi's sparring. I don't know who, actually who he's sparring. I think it's American. Oh yeah. Pro fighter. What so time's that happening? One thirty. They're going to start. Okay. So. Actually, talking about training, someone messaged me. Uh, the, the last thing I want to touch on, um, someone messaged me saying on Instagram, they messaged me saying, I think something like, I would pay, people would pay to see what you teach, and you're just giving away all your secrets um, because what you're teaching is on another level, and you're you know, basically giving it, showing everyone your secrets. And, um, yeah, my answer to that is share the love. Share the love. And it doesn't really bother me if I'm sharing my secrets because at the end of the day, nobody's going to do it to exactly how I'm teaching it, you know? Mm. So it's not that I, it's, I'm not putting it out there for nobody. I'm not putting it out there for people not to use it. People can use it. What I'm trying to say is, it's just like when you get a dancer, two da- a dancer that's trying to do a Michael Jackson move. You ain't gonna do it the way Michael Jackson does it. It's the same thing. So I'm not really bothered if I give my secrets away. And also, you need the type of you need you need the type of fighter to be able to do what I'm teaching as well. You can't just teach every single thing. And everything I'm putting on Instagram is not for every single fighter to do. Right, and, <coughs> and you showing <coughs> your coaching techniques is a far cry from you showing what a particular fighter is working on in the, in the run-up yeah, to a fight. exactly. And what I like, actually, about what you just said about the whole listen, it's just about share the love, is that this is the thing about the sport. One of the things, one of the many things about the sport that I really love. And it's that in all other sports, there's division, ultimately, when it comes to teams, hmm. you know. And the obvious, the obvious example is football. You know, everyone's on different teams. Yeah. And I get that obviously all fighters in boxing are fighting for themselves, but ultimately I always feel like everyone in boxing is really all on the same team. They're all on the boxing team. You know, it's just, it's the, it's the people in the sport that have to know that they have to, they have to elevate boxing. They, they, everyone's in boxing is sort of working together to make boxing as good a sport as it can be and if boxing had half the money thrown into it into promoting it and uh, yeah. promoting it I mean in terms of promoting it as a sport to get into for yeah. young people yeah. for example in the same way as football is that you know, every yeah. club has got so much fucking money yeah. even the low level clubs have got a lot relatively speaking yeah. a huge amount of money when it comes to sort of nurturing young talent um, there's a lot of government, you know, funding for yeah. football programs and things like that. There are, you know, people come out of uh, 
long football careers and they, and they, uh, they yeah. start their football academies and things like that. Or they get jobs within that club. Yeah, or they get jobs within the club. Um, and many of these players have been signed to their club since they were a kid. Yeah. And with boxing, it's so like every man for himself, but yet everyone kind of piles in to promote boxing. Yeah, they do. You don't see it, and when it's, it's amateur tournaments and things like that, where you really see where you really see yeah. how it how everyone. I think pro fighters, pro training is a, you do have that, but a lot of the time you get you, you you get idiots as well. Yeah, you don't hear you don't see two football teams, for example, congratulating each other in the post in the post match interview about what a terrific match they all just put on for the fans. Yeah, yeah. It's all about, yeah, the lads did well and we were good to get the win. And it's the Warriors code. The Warriors code, yeah, exactly. Whereas after any boxing match, unless there's horrific levels of bad blood between the fighters, and even that's pretty rare these days. Um, there is a lot of people with ego, though, in boxing, I would say. Oh, huge. A lot of narcissists in boxing. Yeah. I know that from yeah. the amount of fighters who are... And, it's, and, and so much jealousy as well. So much jealousy. It's just not right in your face blatantly, but yeah. there's so much jealousy. I mean, you, just for example, like th- there could be a coach that makes a kind of a, a comment, like let's say Floyd Mayweather kind of pad work, and they make a comment like, uh, "Yeah, it's good, but I, I don't believe in all that pity patty kind of stuff." So they say it's good, but at the same time they're saying knocking it with pity patty kind of pad work but those kind of coaches the only reason they talk like that because they don't know how to teach it right it's the same thing as like well they don't understand what the value of it yeah. is to the people who are actually doing exactly. it exactly yeah. you're not just doing it for for no reason I mean there's a lot of personal trainers so not boxing trainers personal trainers that do that kind of pad work but I get I, I bet you any money if you ask them a question uh, I asked him the question you take me through everything you're doing and explain to me what you're doing and how it will work in a fight I bet you in 9 times out of 10 the personal trainers don't understand what it does and it's just for them to look pretty for video for clientele mm. but if you're talking about actual boxing trainers coaches that say those kind of comments it's because they don't know how to do that pad work. It's as yeah. simple as that. You know what I mean? And anyway, if you're a freaking fucking awesome coach, you should be able to understand the styles you're teaching, what type of fight you're teaching, and know if you can't do that kind of pad work, then don't do it. You know, don't teach it to your fighters. You know what I mean? Or understand which type of fighter you're teaching it to, because you can't teach it to everyone. Mm. So I just think you get a lot of jealous boxing coaches out there at the end of the day. They just it's all over their faces, mate. You could just see it. But I always smile when I laugh at those kind of. I'm such a. I'm a confident character when it comes to coaching, but at the same time, I keep my head down and I just do my job. And if it inspires people along the way, it inspires people because that's what I want to do: inspire people. But I'm not one to like be cocky about it. I'm I'm cocky within myself, but I'm not cocky as in um, I'm the best coach in the world I believe I'm the best but I don't do it in a cocky way I'm just confident with my work that's all it is and I share the love man share the love have to share the love yep there's not that much of it to go around but share it anyway actually that's bullshit there's so much of it to go around so much to go around people just need to share it more 
The only thing they're not sharing is my fucking wife. So shut the fuck up and move on. Keep it jogging, mate. <laughs> right, you get a lot of requests for that. <laughs> no, if I would, I'd get a punch in the face. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Had to get that in there. Yeah. Well. Um, um, what else you got? Anything more? No, you that's it, mate. I've got to get to the gym, mate. He's got to get to the gym. I need to eat something because I'm about uh, 30 seconds away from chewing yeah. to this table. We'll see you next Thursday. Next Thursday. When can people expect to... Um... Saturday this is going to be out. Oh, but... Th- that was a pointless thing for us to say because they'll know about it when it's out. Just hashtag blue the blue corner. All right, B L E W blue. And if you're if for the, all the slow people out there are wondering why have they spelt blue wrong, we're not going to fucking tell you. <laughs> Find out yourself. Yeah, do the, it's, yeah, there's a there's a contest here. We're happy for anyone to... Uh, Actually, there's two, two, two parts to, to that name, but find it out yourself, yeah. as I said. If anyone can guess, and by the way, if you're one of the three people who we've told and you get in touch telling us the answer, we'll know that you're cheating. So don't be using anyone else's Instagram account to, uh, to, uh, to get yourself the prize, which is, uh, as yet, undecided upon. Exactly. But there is a contest. Anyone who can guess why we're called the Blue Corner, we will. Uh... I don't know. Oh, think, we're thinking of a prize. We're thinking something. We've, we've run out. We've run out of ammo here. We're thinking something. Maybe, maybe you can get to come and spar me. How about that? Yeah, what a prize. I've <laughs> sparred daily. He takes liberties. He takes liberties with these non boxers. I was. I was. I was six weeks in recovery after I did an admittedly very stupid thing when I asked one of Daly's fighters, Mo Garib, if he would um, give me a... A free body Give me shot. a sense of what his power is like by just giving me a little dig in the body. But I put my arm there for him to put it in my arm. But he's such a sneaky, sneaky little devil, Mo Garib, that he thought he'd teach me a lesson. And he snuck it round the back right into my liver and I thought I'd just been stabbed through the body with a chopstick <laughs> and um, six weeks later I get back into the ring when Daly invites me to do a couple of quote unquote Benny do you want to do a couple of light rounds I said yeah sure three rounds later right on the buzzer he slips one in the other side took me out for another three weeks what I do with uh, people that are trying to get into boxing, I give them the 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 first rounds leading up to the last round. I just play around. It's just an excuse. So we can but then the last thirty seconds of the last round, I'm like, okay, well they need to feel what some kind of pressure is. Is when it comes to boxing. I really now just want to fucking punch someone, and I've got this guy in a ring, so he's accepted the stakes, and he's going to have to live with the pain that I'm about to put him through. Bam! Uh, I'm I'm like a lion that's in a cage, man. I should be out there on front line in the ring, (sighs) finding all these George Groves, Billy Joe Saunders, and Chris Eubank Juniors. Yeah, all I'm going to say is I'll be back. (laughs) I'll be back. His youth won't 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 won't. uh, won't be his friend forever. All that shit catches up with you. We'll see. We'll see. The blue corner. We are 
out, please.